Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of 2 Samuel and turning to chapter 10. Second Samuel chapter 10, and you'll find this on page 261 in the church Bibles. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent uh, by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan their lord, Do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Bathrehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Mecca uh, with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, uh, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab, uh, Job uh, and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came, up, uh, came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rahab and the men of Tob and Mecca uh, were by themselves in the open country. When Joab uh, saw that the battle was set against him, both in the front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for our, the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had, defeated, they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam and with Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. 
And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed of the Syrians the men of uh, 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. If you uh, read The Guardian, uh, you may have noticed there was a letter in The Guardian uh, a few days ago uh, that really uh, was about kindness. Uh, It was about someone's own experience of having lost their bike bag. And that bike bag contained all the meaningful things uh, uh, to them. It contained their wedding band, it contained their wallet, it contained lots of things. And because it was so important to them, they retraced their steps trying to find that lost bag, all 30 kilometers, uh, looking for that bag. And as they were retracing their steps, they ultimately came back to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Uh, And they found when they came to the hospital that someone had found their bag and had reported it. And when they uh, found that bag and they heard what had been done, they wanted to give a reward to the person who had found it. But the person who had found the bag and had reported the bag missing uh, wanted no reward. Uh, They simply wanted to do an act of kindness to help someone who was facing a very difficult situation, a difficult time. And when we see stories like that in the news, it warms our heart because we love to hear about acts of kindness, one person helping another person. But what is uh, appreciative about that story is not just the act of kindness that was shown by that teenager, but the fact that the person who received it wanted to make public what was done for them. They appreciated that kindness and they embraced that kindness themselves. And so they wrote a letter uh, drawing attention to the kindness that they had been given. They wanted and they appreciated that kindness. And so we not only appreciate when we see acts of kindness, but we know that when people show kindness, it ought to be acknowledged, it ought to be embraced, it ought to be received. And only then is it really satisfying and really fulfilling That where there is kindness, it is to be received on the other side as an act of kindness. In 2 Samuel, we have been looking at uh, David's reign. And one of the themes that we have highlighted was not only that David was a man who reigned or was aspiring to reign in justice and righteousness, but also that he wanted to extend kindness. You remember that in chapter 9, he desired for the sake of Jonathan... He wanted to show kindness to the house of Saul. That word kindness was really the language of covenant. David wanted to fulfill his covenant oath, his promise to Jonathan, that he would do well to him and to his family uh, even after him. And David not only kept that promise to the letter saying he would not kill Jonathan's family when he became king to protect his own power, But David's love, his covenant, his kindness was shown in providing for Mephibosheth. It was giving Mephibosheth an exalted status. 
so that he was treated like one of the sons of David. He would have a place at the table. He would be treated as his own son. And so when we think about kindness in 2 Samuel, it's the idea of this covenant relationship. It is this idea of being loyal to another person. And not in a minimalistic sense of saying, what's the least I can do to get away with my promise? But an overflow of the heart that wants to do what is in the best interest of the other. That's how David dealt with Mephibosheth. He wanted to bless him. And when Mephibosheth heard that, he was humbled, wasn't he? That what is this that is being done for me, one who is like a dog, that I should be treated like a son of the king? And this evening we are coming back to looking at that idea of kindness because we want to see that David's reign was not meant to be one of kindness that was only shown to a very small circle of people. It wasn't just Jonathan's family that was to be the recipients of kindness. David wanted to extend that kindness out. It was meant to go out to the nations. And here in 2 Samuel 10, we're seeing David's kindness reaching beyond even the territory of Israel. He is sending messengers into the land of the Ammonites, desiring to show kindness. And you see that there at the beginning of the chapter. It says, after this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan. That word loyally, as you can see in a footnote, is the same word that we could translate as kindly or covenantally. I will show kindness to Hanan, that he is seeing a relationship here where he wants to bless Hanan. And what we want to look at this evening is a very different response. Whereas Mephibosheth embraced that kindness, Hanan responds in a very different way and ultimately rejects it. And so we want to look at uh, the response uh, to David's kindness and the rejection of it in two thoughts. We want to think about uh, the ridicule of the king's kindness, and then secondly, the result of that rejection. David's kindness, then, is not just for a small circle, but it goes to those who are far off, those even beyond the territory of Israel. It tells us here that the king of the Ammonites had died. Um, and David wants to deal loyally with his son, Hanan. Uh, but he gives us the explanation there, doesn't he? It says, I will deal loyally with him as his father has dealt loyally with me. His father has dealt kindly with me. His father has dealt covenantly with me. The king of the Ammonites that is being referred to here is a man named Nahash. We've already met him back in 1 Samuel. He was that violent king who came against Jabesh Gilead and who threatened to uh, gouge out the right eye of the Israelites uh, in order to disgrace them and to uh, cripple them essentially as a people. He was a very violent man. And the Ammonites were a people who descended from Lot. They had a a similar ancestry. There was a closeness in them, and yet there was a long-standing tension between these two groups. And Nahash was just one of those examples, a man who violently came against the Israelites seeking to destroy them. But at some point, this king of the Ammonites 
had dealt well with David. And David uh, hadn't forgot about it. We're only left to guesses as to what exactly the king of the Ammonites had done for David. Did he give him protection from Saul when he was on the run? Did he establish a treaty with David? Uh, We're only left to guesses. But what is clear is that David had an understanding that Nahash, or that, uh, that the king of the Ammonites had done well to him and that he was going to want to extend that relationship with his son. He wanted to bless his son, even as he had enjoyed the blessing uh, with the king of the Ammonites, Nahash himself, before him. And so here he wants to send messengers into the land of the Ammonites in order to comfort them as they grieve the loss of their father. Now, it was a customary thing to extend sympathy uh, to a monarch whose father had died. Uh, It would be uh, a customary thing for a newly appointed king uh, to receive messengers in order to continue that relationship between two kingdoms. And so you could look at this as simply a civil act of diplomacy. But it's more than that. Because David's motive here is to show kindness. His desire here is in response to the kindness that he has received. There's a relationship. And David here wants to bless Hanan. uh, And that is the reason why he is sending these messengers. So he sends them uh, to comfort Hanan on the death of his father. But we see a very different response uh, from the king of the Ammonites as opposed to Mephibosheth. In verse 3, we're told something of how uh, the king ridicules this kindness. We're told that there were princes, uh, leaders, uh, could be military commanders, but there were princes of some sort of these Ammonites. And they said to Hanan, their lord, do you think that David, uh, because uh, has sent comforters to you, that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? They're casting a much darker shadow over David's gesture, aren't they? Their their question is meant to lead to a very different interpretation about what David is actually doing. David isn't trying to comfort you. He's taking advantage of your weakness. This is the perfect time for a king to attack another kingdom. And that's what he's trying to do. And so there's already this sense of suspicion on the Ammonites' part about what David is actually doing. Uh, we see something of their, their mindset uh, even in their question. So they're very suspicious of David's actions. Now, there are times when we should be suspicious uh, and when it's healthy for us to question uh, what is happening. Uh, there can be grounds for that mindset of, uh, of wondering or questioning what is actually taking place. But if our only way of looking at situations is to be suspicious, or if our default mindset of interpreting actions is always to look at this as something negative, it can be actually quite harmful to us. While there can be a place of guarding ourselves and protecting ourselves and that sense of questioning that protects us, if we're always questioning or looking for an ulterior motive in what someone else is doing, it can ultimately be something that is poisonous or toxic to our own soul uh, and to our own well-being. Uh, this is something that Mark Manel, uh points out. He says, uh, 
uh, it robs us of enjoying genuine goodness. It blinds us from seeing it. He says, if we only see everything as something of a grounds for suspicion, it makes everything about power and we become cynical. But then he says this, he says, this ignores the genuine human capacity for love that is derived from being created in the image of God. How we think about human nature is important. We might think that we know what a human person is. We know what human people are like. But if our view of humanity is not shaped by our understanding of the scriptures, it will be distorted. And if our view of humanity is distorted, it is going to expose us to much harm. If we don't recognize the capacity of evil in human beings, we are going to not be able to explain or to account for the evil that we see in this world. But if we don't have a sense that we are created in the image of God, we won't be able to appreciate the good. Calvinists believe in total depravity. But that doesn't mean that we believe that human beings are as wicked as they possibly can be. We don't look at things constantly as something evil. And what we need to be able to do is still to appreciate that we are created in the image of God. That we are created and that we can see acts being done without constantly being suspicious of them. In such a way that blinds us from genuine goodness or from blinds us from beauty in this world. That blinds us from the fact that God is the source of all goodness. And that he has created us in such a way that we are meant to aspire for what is good. Even if it is not perfect. Even if it is not truly aligned. And so here we have these Ammonites who are suspicious of David. But why are they so suspicious of David? Perhaps it's linked back to their view of what they have themselves experienced. Perhaps it's how their own hearts are operating. Perhaps it's because they're not referencing goodness as it's found in God himself, that they immediately jump to the conclusion that David must have an ulterior motive. So here they are uh, suspicious of David, uh, and it ultimately blinds them from appreciating a good gesture from David himself. It blinds them and ultimately sets them up uh, for opposing uh, David themselves. Our view of human nature then is going to shape the way that we look at others. And this is why it's so important that even when it comes to our doctrine of man, our doctrine of humanity, that it still begins with the word of God. We are created body and soul. We are created as image bearers. We are those who are meant to promote what is right and holy and good. We are people that are called to reflect the image of God. And that is part of what it means uh, to be human. So these counselors here question the motive and the gesture of David. But more than that, notice that Hanan is surrounded by these leaders, these princes, these commanders. And they're the ones that are leading him in the way to think about this gesture. Do you think that David is really doing this to comfort you? Is he not taking advantage of you? And ultimately, at the end of the day, Hanun goes along with their counsel, doesn't he? That he's, he's convinced by what they're saying, and it ultimately leads him in the direction that he's going. We may not be the king or the queen of Ammon here ourselves this evening. 
And yet it's still true that we live our lives with a circle of counselors, our close friends who do have an influence on us. There are people that help us interpret events. How do we think about the actions that happen? How do we process the things in this world? We rely on our friends. We rely on those that are close to us. Their input helps shape the way that we process things. And it's naive to think that the people around us will have no impact on us. And so when we think about our own situation, we may not be in the same situation as the king here, but we still do have to make sense of our world. And if we are surrounding ourselves with counselors, we should want our closest counselors to be those who are informed by the word of God. Those who are going to speak to us in a way that corrects us and checks us in our thinking and not which confuses us or leads us away from God's word. And so you young people, as you think about that, you think about who is it that I am circling myself around as my trusted advisors? Who is it whose input that I am listening to to help shape the way that I think about events? Are they going to help me make sense of these things or are they going to make me blind to things that I need to see? Are they going to help me respond in a godly way? And so David's gesture here is something that is going to be ridiculed uh, by the Ammonites uh, because they themselves are operating under that bent principle that people only do things uh, for selfish gain. And Hanun himself is led away uh, by their counsel. But we're also told how they ridiculed uh, the messengers of David. In verse 4, it tells us that they took the servants of David and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off half their garments at their middle, uh, at their hips, and they sent them away. This is embarrassing, obviously. Uh, a man's dignity in the Old Covenant, uh, an Israelite's dignity, uh, was his beard. Uh, the man was not to shave uh, the edges of his beard. Uh, it was part of his calling as a, an, Is, an Israelite uh, to show forth himself as a man of God with his beard. Uh, more than that, though, um, this would have been embarrassing uh, to cut off something that would have been so attached to his identity. Uh, but it was meant to disgrace him. Uh, and that is part of the reason why David tells them to stay at Jericho, uh, a place of ruins, until your shame is covered over. Uh, it was an act of David, uh, of his kindness, to tell them to stay there. But when they shave off uh, half their beard, they also go and shave off half their garments. Again, this is exposing them and making them feel shameful. But it's doing more than that. Because the garments of an Israelite also had the tassels. And on those tassels, you had the blue fabric, which was to remind them of God's law. The law of God, which identifies them as being part of God's people. And so in addition to their own exposure of shame, there's also this sense of cutting right at the identity of who they are. Whether or not the Ammonites recognized it, they're attacking their identity. And so here is these messengers, these ambassadors for David, who are being put to scorn and to shame by those that they came to show kindness to. And all the while, uh, it is an act of great offense. And so uh, the ridicule is highlighted there in the shaving of their beard and the cutting off of their garments at their hips. 
But then we see about the result of this ridicule, the, the result of their rejection. And the rest of the chapter tells us what happens as a result of rejecting that kindness. It tells us that uh, when it was told David, he sent to... Um, when it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. And then it says, when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians. Isn't that amazing what it says there? The Ammonites recognized that what they did was a stench to David. It was something that was going to be repugnant to David. You think of the spring season, uh, this time of the year when you see skunks out in the morning and when a skunk sprays, it leaves its odor. Uh, that odor is not something that you can easily ignore. It's something repugnant. Uh, you smell it and it is something distasteful. It is something that you want to be rid of. Here what they did was something that was going to be deeply offensive to David and they knew it. But rather than saying, you know, we've, we've went too far in the way that we ridiculed David's messengers. Rather than repenting and saying, we shouldn't have done that. That was, that was dumb. Instead, these men who could not withstand the Israelites, this is what it's saying. They knew they could not fight the Israelites. So they decided to hire an army to do it for them. Rather than humble themselves and to seek to be reconciled, they would rather empty their pockets and have someone else fight for them to protect their pride. That's where arrogance leads. This, this recognition that we've done something that is going to be offensive, but we can't stop now. We're already going down this path. And so now they start to support their own, uh, their own pride and they begin to uh, hire this army of over 30,000 men, which cost them over a thousand pieces of silver, as it tells us in the book of Chronicles. This is uh, where their, their pride led, uh, a preference for one's own ego rather than peace. There could have been terms of peace, but they preferred to protect their own ego. And now their ridicule of the king's kindness uh, becomes resistance to the king. That's ultimately what they're doing uh, when they cut off their garments. Uh, as these men come uh, to show sorrow and grief for the death of a king, they're mocking their, their, their signs of sorrow and their signs of grief. It's only when David hears of the Ammonites' plans, it says in verse 7, after he hears uh, about this army that is coming against him in verse 7, then David sends Joab and all the host of his mighty men. While it was something repugnant to him, what they had done, David's counterattack is only coming now as he hears of a Syrian army that is building up uh, to fight. And then it's uh, told to us, that Joab goes out uh, to fight them. And when he goes out to fight them, uh, we're told that Joab found himself in between two armies. Uh, he has an army on either side, one that is waiting for them, uh, uh, the Syrians, and then the Ammonites who are uh, at their own fortress. And as he is in this difficult situation, we're zeroed in on his counsel uh, to his own brother. And he says a number of things. He gives him a sense of connection. He tells him that if uh, we are fighting as one, 
and we must divide our forces, but we will help one another where weakness uh, lies. He tells them to be courageous, that this is a time to be strong. He tells them to consider what they're fighting for. We are fighting for the cities of our God. We're fighting for the people back home because the Syrians and the Ammonites are going to continue this forceful attack. But all of this is undergirded by this sense of conviction. In verse 12 there, he says, may the Lord do what seems good to him. His confidence was not in what he knew was going to happen. His confidence was is that God is good. Let God do what seems good to him and let us live under that umbrella. The Ammonites questioned the goodness of the king. That's what sparked their ridicule. That's what sparked their hostility towards David's gesture. Joab's response here, his counsel, is, is that God is good. And that's the only thing we can depend on. And so let us act in light of that. And so here Joab encourages uh, not only his own men, but he even encourages us uh, to live knowing that there is a source of goodness. The source of all goodness is God. And because God is good, there is such thing as goodness. And we can be people who live not constantly suspicious, but people who acknowledge that tension, that there is evil in this world, but there is good that will prevail in the end because God's will will be done. They mounted their attack and uh, the Israelites prevailed. And so ultimately uh, the, the battle ends that day. But the chapter ends by talking about another battle where the Syrians are ultimately defeated uh, and they make terms of peace and they no longer fight with the Israelites. And later in chapter 12, we'll be told about how the Ammonites themselves uh, will be defeated by David as well. And these chapters are all actually connected together. But here we're seeing how the people are to be uh, uh, living. Uh, what is the result uh, of rejecting uh, that kindness? that it was one where their resistance mounted, but ultimately their resistance was overcome. They showed a mockery of David's messengers, but their mockery was really a mockery of the king who sent them. They didn't want to have anything of David. They didn't care about David's gestures. And so when they mocked the messengers, it was really a mocking of the king. And what all of this is really showing us is something of the human nature. That we haven't really changed that much. As the scriptures teach us again and again, so they did to the prophets. The people of Israel, the covenant people of Israel, mocked God in the way that they dealt with God's messengers. And so the book of Chronicles tells us that they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And there was no remedy. Like the Ammonites, we are those who doubt the goodness of God. We suspect that there must be an ulterior motive. But God has shown his kindness towards us. Not only in sending messengers like the prophets, but in sending his son to comfort us in the grief that we face in this world. Not simply to come alongside us and to speak words in our sorrow, but by entering into our sorrow, by taking that sorrow upon himself, and by ultimately overcoming 
death itself through the cross. Jesus came into this world to bring real lasting comfort. And that kindness of God is something that is to be appreciated. It is something that is meant to be embraced, not ridiculed. It's something that is to be believed in, not something that's to be ignored. The Ammonites ridiculed David, that he was really trying to show kindness to them. Their suspicions, their hostility ultimately led them in resistance. And their resistance ultimately led them to their downfall. God would cause his king to be triumphant. And that those who mock that king will be defeated. How are we to respond to God's kindness? Not by ignoring it. Not by despising it. But by believing that God's kindness is true. It's the age-old question. It's the same question that the serpent came to uh, within the garden. Is God good? Did God say that you can't have any of the fruit in the garden? God has shown his kindness towards us in Jesus. And in Christ, we can see God's favor and to know uh, God's goodness. And we are to learn to live in response to it. Paul warns us in the book of Romans that we are stirring up God's wrath when God's kindness, his patience, is meant to lead us to repentance. If we continue to reject those offers, if we continue to put off God's summons to repent and to believe, if we continue to despise what God has declared, we are mounting up God's wrath. And instead, we are to be people who humble ourselves and to seek the Lord while there is a day of salvation. We are to acknowledge that the king is good. God's kindness has been shown to us. But kindness is meant to be appreciated. It is to be accepted. It is to be embraced, not rejected. Have you received God's kindness yourself? Or do you continue to live with suspicion that there has to be an ulterior motive, that God is doing this not for our good, but for his own power. How do you look at things? Has God's spirit changed you to see that there is good in God and God's goodness flows out from him through his son? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about these stories of David and how they serve as pictures of the kingdom of God, we pray, Lord, that we would realize that uh, rebellion against the Lord's anointed is futile. But we pray, Lord, as well, that we would discover that acts of kindness are genuine and true. We pray, Lord, then that we would look to the Lord Jesus for comfort from sin, that we would look to the Lord Jesus for deliverance from the, the grip of death, and we pray, Lord, that we would know uh, uh, the victory over Satan himself. Go before us now, then we pray in Jesus' name.